Through the Food and Drug Administration's Accelerated Approval Review Track, drugs can be approved on the basis of surrogate endpoints, and manufacturers can later confirm their efficacy for the approved indication. Although private insurers can decide whether to pay for such products, Medicare and Medicaid are required to cover many FDA-approved drugs, even when their clinical benefits are uncertain. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Waleed Jalad, an Associate Professor of Medicine and Health Policy and Co-Director of the Center for Pharmaceutical Policy and Prescribing at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Jalad has co-authored a perspective article about proposals for addressing the price of drugs that receive this accelerated approval. Dr. Jalad, you write in your article that the FDA's accelerated approval program was originally designed to allow for faster drug development during the HIV-AIDS crisis. So what led to the expansion of the program to cover other drugs as well? It was initially started in the early 90s, and it came out of the notion that if we wanted to get drugs to patients faster, then we couldn't necessarily wait sometimes to get the final confirmation on their benefit on outcomes that might take years to develop. With AIDS, it was the issue around waiting for AIDS-defining illnesses versus approving a drug based on CD4 count and viral load. So that's how it initially came to be with HIV, and then it was extended to other therapies given the desire by the FDA and Congress and the public to speed approval of drugs. And so it's expanded primarily into oncologic products, although not only. So you write that early experience with accelerated approval has been largely positive. Are there data on how often the drugs that are approved through this pathway are eventually found to be ineffective for the approved indication or less effective than originally hoped? There are some data, although I think there's not as much data as you'd like. With HIV, I would say all the drugs approved through accelerated approval eventually received regular approval. With cancer, it's a little more of a mixed bag. There have been a couple studies, one just last year, looking at drugs approved over a four-year period until 2012. There were 15 accelerated approvals. And of those, about half had still been untested or didn't have any results about whether they improved survival. And six of the 15 did not improve survival. So when you look at the relationship between some of those accelerated approval drugs and whether they improve survival, the story is maybe not as good as you'd like, although there are other benefits to drugs other than survival in cancer. There have been some well-known examples of where accelerated approval has not worked well. And one of those might be Avastin. Bevacizumab for breast cancer was initially approved for breast cancer through the accelerated approval pathway. Eventually, after three years on the market, it was determined that the drug didn't have any effect on survival, um, had some safety concerns, so it was eventually withdrawn. And there have been other examples like that. In general, I think the consensus is that the accelerated approval system has been good for patients to get drugs to them earlier, although there have been, like I said, some notable exceptions. One of the main issues is not only is there evidence in the end that the drugs work, but how long it takes for them to go from accelerated approval until final approval when there's some certainty about the clinical benefit. And that in some cases can be years, even a decade. And that's the real concern and part of what we write about in this perspective. So are there any guidelines about how quickly drug makers have to conduct those confirmatory trials after the accelerated approval? There are guidelines to a certain extent. So The FDA requires, actually, before accelerated approval is granted, that there's some commitment to when a protocol for a confirmatory trial will be submitted, when the trial will be finished, and when the study will be reported. So there has to be some agreement, and the FDA has to say that is a reasonable timeline for having confirmation of accelerated approval. And the FDA even has the ability to assess penalties if there's not what they call due diligence in completion of those trials. 
the problem is there's some uncertainty and some really discretion at the FDA into what is due diligence. How much is a company really following its plan? And is it reasonable to wait X period of time, whatever that might be, for confirmation? So there are rules about how the process has to be set up for a confirmatory trial, but no strict rules about when a confirmatory trial has to happen. And has the FDA ever withdrawn approval because the manufacturer failed to conduct that trial or assess those penalties? As far as I know, the FDA has not withdrawn a drug for that reason. And in some cases, and in cancer, in some cases, it's been 10 years after approval and the drug still has no confirmatory trial. But in some cases, we mentioned betaquiline, one of the antibiotics in our perspective. At the time of accelerated approval for that antibiotic, which is for multidrug-resistant tuberculosis, it was specified by the manufacturer that the confirmatory trial would happen 10 years after accelerated approval. And that was something that the FDA agreed to. So in some cases, the FDA is able to agree to a very long timeline for a confirmatory trial after accelerated approval. Looking at prices, is there any evidence that drug makers price these products that receive accelerated approval differently from those that are approved through the traditional channels? No, I don't think there's any systematic differences. And that's the point, really, of the perspective, is that these drugs have much less evidence that they will provide clinical benefit and really help patients than other drugs. And yet, they're priced the same way. And they're priced generally based on the number of people who are anticipated to use the drug and the general cost of other therapies in that area. That's really one of the issues we try and address in the perspective is ask the question, should we be paying the same amount as drugs approved through the regular pathway when it is acknowledged that the drug does not have clinical benefit and, in fact, that the companies have to state on the label for these drugs approved under accelerated approval that there is no yet confirmation about clinical benefit of these drugs, which is very interesting that that has to be on the label. And Medicare and Medicaid are usually required to cover these prescriptions. Has there been any pushback about that sort of mandated coverage? Right. And there's some nuance behind that, the issue of how much they have to cover it. So Medicaid generally will cover any drug as long as the manufacturer participates in the rebate program. And so they will really cover all FDA-approved drugs. And again, that's one of the points we make in our perspective is that when you get a drug through accelerated approval, it's not just approval for patients to use it, but it's a requirement for some payers to pay for it. So Medicaid can institute some prior authorization or some steps that patients have to go through before they can get the drug, although the drug will eventually be covered. The issue is who's going to decide for Medicaid if it's medically indicated. And again, Medicaid generally has gone by the point that an FDA-approved product, if it's used for the indication that's FDA-approved for, then it is indicated. Medicare, through the Part D benefit, which is run by different private plans, has a little more discretion in that the private plans can choose what's on the formulary and what's not on the formulary. Now, the issue, though, is that many of these accelerated approval drugs are cancer drugs, and there's a stipulation in the Medicare coverage that all cancer drugs must be covered on the formulary. So in that way, actually, it is true that Medicare Part D will have to cover many of these accelerated approval drugs if they are cancer drugs. Again, there can be some prior authorization requirements, some steps you have to take before you use the drug, but it becomes sometimes very difficult to institute those steps because of public pushback, as we've seen in Medicaid, for example. In your article, you propose a number of policy options to address the cost of these drugs for these public insurance programs. You talk about requiring price concessions from manufacturers. You talk about economic impact analyses. Is there any precedent for 
that type of regulation? Not specifically around approval. FDA really does not take costs into account when it determines whether or not it's going to approve a drug. And generally, Medicare typically will also cover a drug, again, if it's reasonable and necessary, which is how Medicare defines it based on safety and efficacy. I don't think there's a precedent necessarily for the steps that we outline in our perspective. Finally, do you expect that FDA programs such as the Accelerated Approval Pathway are going to be used more under the new administration? What do you think is going to happen with the new commissioner administration? I think that the Accelerated Approval Pathway is one area where there is some discretion for the FDA in terms of deciding when is a surrogate outcome reasonably likely to predict benefit, which is the definition of how a drug can get into accelerated approval. So with regular approval, a drug has to show clinical benefit, which can include surrogate outcomes, but they have to be accepted surrogate outcomes. But with accelerated approval, there has to be a reasonable likelihood that the surrogate will predict benefit. And so I think there's a lot of leeway there for an FDA to decide what is reasonable. And I think the best example was the drug for Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which happened in the prior administration of the FDA. But as an example of the kind of issues that will come up, which is when there will be disagreement about whether the surrogate outcome that's been identified, whatever it might be, actually will have a clinical benefit in the end. And the point we make, again, in the perspective is that should we be paying the same amount for a drug for which there is no clear evidence of clinical benefit, or should we wait until there is that final evidence of clinical benefit before we pay the full amount? And so that's why we discuss issues around whether there are different ways to pay, whether you hold payment in escrow until there's a confirmation of benefit, whether you have different payment models for drugs under accelerated approval versus regular approval. But that would be a change for public payers, as I mentioned before. Thank you, Dr. Gillette.